Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. Before we go any further, I just want to go on record this morning and tell you that He is enough. In fact, He is more than enough. He's everything that you could ever need in this life and the life to come. He's the fulfillment of everything that every human being is searching for. running after the gains of God you will never be fulfilled in this life but if you're running after him if you're running after Jesus Christ my friend that's where you find fulfillment that's where you find joy that's where you find peace that's where you find everything you need would you clap your hands unto the Lord this morning chapter 6 and I just want to read one verse of scripture some of you about fell over when I said that I'm like one verse wow one verse one verse we'll dig into the entire chapter eventually uh, but this is a verse that um, most of you know probably can quote it probably have quoted it several times first Timothy 6 and verse 6 Paul writes but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Amen. And I just want to talk to us for the next little bit on this title, God plus something. God plus something. Amen. Would you help me pray today? I want the Lord to have his way in this place. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you today, God. We thank you for allowing us to be in your house today, God, to stand in your presence. It is a great privilege, God. I pray that it's something that we would never take lightly. We would never take it for granted, God, that we are standing in your house before you today. I just ask and invite you in this place, Lord. Have your way today. Speak to us through your word, I pray in Jesus' name. God, help it to be an encouragement to us all. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You may be seated. First, uh, First Timothy chapter 6 is, uh, is a part of the letter that Paul wrote to his disciple Timothy. After his first imprisonment, Paul goes with Timothy to Ephesus and the church where he had started. And he leaves Timothy in Ephesus to lead that church as he goes on to Macedonia, just kind of giving you a little background here. And he writes this letter back to Timothy, giving him instructions on how to guide the church, how to lead the church. And, and so he talks to him about several different things. He talks to him about fighting false doctrine. He talks to him about the, the qualifications for leaders, uh, for deacons, for overseers and how to select those leaders. And he talks to him about order in the church. He talks to him about being an example and not letting anyone look down on him for him being, you know, a young person. And he just kind of encourages him. And then I believe in chapter 6, Paul goes to the very heart. The most important 
part that he wants to nail, I believe, is in that last chapter. And uh, I want to jump just past it. If you have your Bible still open to 1 Timothy 6, I want to jump uh, to that verse that you may know. Verse 11. He says this, But as for you, O man of God, And by the way, that phrase, man of God, is only used twice in the New Testament. And both times, it's referring to Timothy. It's used about 70 times in the Old Testament referring to a man who speaks on behalf of God. And so he's saying to him, you are a man of God. You represent Christ. And you are here to speak on his behalf. And the first thing he says, he says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Now, I know it's kind of awkward to to start out with the right in the middle of that verse. It's like, what is he supposed to flee? What is he? I realize I skipped over that, but I want to start there to say that the first thing he says is the man of God needs to steer clear of a few things. There are some things that we as Christians have to steer clear of. Would you agree with that today? And those are the things that I want to talk to us about this morning. I want to get into the heart of the whole thing, and it's in verse 6. It's our text this morning. He says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, I'm jumping in the middle, and there's some stuff that's prior that we're going to look at, but I want you to start there. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And the heartbeat of this chapter is that verse right there. And so what he's trying to leave with Timothy is that God wants from you godliness to run after the things of God, to run after being Christ-like, coupled with contentment. Now, you may ask, why is contentment such a big deal? Why, is, why does God desire contentment from us that are his followers? Well, let's contrast it this morning. The opposite of contentment is covetousness. All right? To covet something is the opposite of being Content. So when, we, when we're coveting something, we're really showing a lack of contentment in God. Have you ever wondered that the first and tenth commandments of the Ten Commandments are essentially the same command? The first one is you shall have no gods before me. And the last one is you shall not covet. And ultimately, those are the same command. He starts and ends with the same command. And what, here's the thing. What do we do when we covet something? We are literally saying, God, you are not enough. You're not fulfilling. And if I had that something or someone, if I just had that, then I would be fulfilled. You see, that's what what sin is. Whenever we choose something else over God, whenever we put something in the place of God, that's the bottom line of what sin is. So when we covet, we are bringing an idol into our life. 
That's why Paul says in Colossians 3, 5, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he goes through a whole list. And then the last thing he says, put to death covetousness, which is idolatry. It's idolatry. It's, it's worshiping something other than God. So we ask the question, why is God concerned with contentment? Why does God desire his followers to be content? This is the reason why contentment is a huge deal for God. Because when we're not content, we're starting to worship something else. And I want you to know that that was the enemy's plan from the very beginning. It was for you and I to covet. Adam and Eve in the garden, the enemy comes in and says, Oh, God told you not to eat from the tree. Well, God knows that if you eat from that tree, you'll become like him. So in essence, that lie was this, that there's something more out there. There is something more for you that you don't know about and that God is keeping it from you. And that if you just had that, then you, my friend, would be fulfilled. So all the way back to the Garden of Eden, it was God plus something. If you just had that, then you could be God yourself. And Adam and Eve, we know the story, they bit that lie. They coveted. And that's the enemy's plan at the beginning, and it's still very much a part of his plan today. The enemy wants you to covet, because when you covet, you lose your richness in Christ. You lose your fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And that's what God is calling us to fight against. That's what Paul is urging to Timothy. Flee these things. I like the way Jesus says it in John 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. If you're sitting here this morning wondering why, get, why you should give your life to following Christ fully, I'm here to tell you that if you don't, you are missing out on life. Jesus is trying to say, and he tells us that if you're going to save your life, uh, uh, you're going to lose. But if you, if you try saving your life, you're going to lose. But if you would lose your life for his sake, then you might my friend will find life. Church, God doesn't want to be a buzzkill. God doesn't want to take life away from you, but he wants you to experience life to the fullest. And so he wants us not to covet. And the only way not to do that is to be content in him. Before we go any further, I just want to go on record this morning and tell you that he is enough. In fact, he is more than enough. He's everything that you could ever need in this life and the life to come. He's the fulfillment of everything that every human being is searching for. I love the response of Peter in John chapter 6 right after Jesus asked, are you going to leave me too? Peter said, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. I submit to you today, when you truly fall in love with him, when you truly understand and see him for who he truly is, when you realize there is nothing else that can take the place of Jesus Christ in your life, hear me today. You don't need God plus something. You just need God because he's everything that you're 
your heart and your soul is searching for. It's him. It's him. All right, so how do we stay content in God, Bryce? I want to give you three things this morning. Three things that I believe areas that we must be content in order for us to be content in God. Number one, be content with where you are. Be content with where you are. In the life stage that you are in, in the position you are in, where you find yourself. Now go back to the beginning of 1 Timothy 6 and look at verses 1 and 2 with me. Paul writes, Let all who are under a yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. Little side note, the the slavery that was going on then was more like an indentured servitude. There There was a contract involved. It wasn't like forever slavery. They were slaves for a set period of time, something like seven years. And in exchange for their service to their master, they had all their food and clothing and shelter provided for. So in some ways, it was a whole lot better than just being a day laborer. They had everything taken care of for them. And the second thing he says is this. If, if you have Christian, ma- uh, Christian masters, just because you're a Christian and there's equity there, he said you're both co-heirs with Christ. Don't take that as an excuse to not be diligent and to not serve. The first thing he says may be to believing masters. He said you ought to serve them so that the doctrine, the name of God would not be blaspheme Ephesians 6 he says it this way slaves obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ so what is all this talking about it means this the position that you find yourself in as a servant he says you be obedient to God and you serve it because you're doing it for God See, if you complain about the state that you're in, about the position you're in, the the place that you're in, if you're discontent where you are, all you are doing, my friend, is expressing a lack of faith in God and in His plan. You're saying, God... You're not good enough for me. I don't trust this plan. You're not coming through for me, God. You're, you're, you don't have my best interest in mind. Now, none of, none of us would ever really say that out loud, but that's what we do whenever we complain about where we're at in life, whenever we're not content with where we are. So whenever we're discontent wherever God has us, we are screaming out our lack of faith in God, not just to God, but to those watching us when we complain and grumble. 
No wonder Philippians says, do all things without complaining so you will what? Shine as stars. Church, when we complain where God has us, when we complain about where we're at in life, we are displaying our lack of faith and we are coveting. We're saying, man, if I could just get to the next stage in life. If I, could, if I could just get to that place, and I want you to know that, 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 that this, something, this is something that most people struggle with. This is a lot that people struggle with right here. We're looking for greener pastures. We're looking on the other side. We're standing on our tippy toes trying to find our next breakthrough. And we are discontent with where we're at in life. And this is something that most people struggle with. You know why? Because it's easy to sit back and watch everyone else be blessed but you. Everyone else gets something but not you. Someone else gets the miracle but not you. Someone else gets the promotion but not you. Someone else have the breakthrough and not you. And seeing someone else get fulfillment robs us of our own fulfillment. Our eyes become shifted and we refocus on something else. Abraham Lincoln was once quoted, he says, we can complain because rose bushes have thorns or rejoice because thorn bushes have roses. Isn't that the truth? People can tend to either be complainers or rejoicers. And I don't know about you, but I hope and pray that I'm always the latter. I want to be able to rejoice and not complain. You know why? Because complaining leads us to the thoughts of, if I could just get to the next stage in life. I'm going to tell you something right here. If you're not fulfilled in this stage in life, chances are you're not going to be filled in the next stage in life. Because God plus the next stage is never the answer. It is still God no matter where. Where we are, no matter what stage of life we're in, Jesus is all that we need. We got to be content with where we are right now. We've got to deal with our discontentment. Why? Because it's an issue of your heart. It's not an issue of you having the right situation to be fulfilled. It's an issue of your heart. Because your heart isn't content with God. That's what it shows. The story of David is so awesome where Samuel is looking for the next king of Israel and he goes to the sons of Jesse and he says, hey, we're going to have a consecration service. And so all the sons of Jesse, they, they go in and they print themselves up and they stand in line and they're, they're ready to be the next king. They're, they're looking to, for the next stage in life. And God says to Samuel as he's going through the line and Samuel says, oh, here's the one. Here's the, I think this is the one. And God says, don't look at his outward appearance because because the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward, but the Lord looks on the heart. God says, I'm interested in somebody who is content in me, who is content where they are, who is content, whose heart is mine, who is fully and content in me and isn't trying to covet the next stage in life. 
And so they pass by, and he's like, none of them, none of them. Is this all your sons? And I love Jesse. He's just like, yeah, we got a little redheaded boy. He's out on the, he's out on the hill back here tending the sheep. He's out in the field. I've got one more. David, who didn't see himself fit to be king, who was content where God had him. He was obedient to the place where God had him. He was serving the sheep. That's where God had him. He wasn't trying to get to the next step. And guess what? That's the guy that God chose to be the king. That's the guy that God called to be the king and the shepherd of God's sheep. Isn't that interesting? Because he was content where he had him. I love what Jesus said in Luke 16. He says, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. Church, God desires for each and every one of us to be content with where we are in life. And if we're not, the next stage will not do. The line will move again and it will be the next stage and the next stage and the next So number one, be content with where you are. The second thing, God wants contentment with what you have. 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 3, he said, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, He is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words. Whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. Supposing that that gain is godliness, for such withdraw thyself. He goes here saying, the heartbeat of the people who are teaching false doctrine, they suppose... That, that, that godliness to be a means of gain. That, that that's what you're supposed to run to or run away from. Do you know what's so interesting to me? He says this, that they're using words and twisting words. They're obsessed with word arguments to make godliness be to their benefit. And I love the way kind of Paul just kind of turns it around on them. He says they're, they're into word games, and then he turns a little word game on them. He says, you think godliness is a means to gain. I say to you, godliness with contentment is great gain. He just kind of turns it on them. They see this godliness plus something will fulfill them. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Godliness and contentment. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting to me because contentment really means minus everything else. Yes. That's what it it means. Meaning you don't look to anything else as a source of fulfillment. And this thing becomes richer. It doesn't mean that you devalue God. It's impossible to devalue God. But you devalue your experience of fulfillment in God. When you run after other things as a source of fulfillment. 
That's the source of formula or the sort of formula that Paul is talking about in Philippians when he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. There's a call for us to run away from the stuff of this earth. That we won't find fulfillment in things. He's going to go into the love of money. Look at verse 7 of 1 Timothy 6. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Don't run after money or material wealth because it won't last. It's not going to go with you to heaven. It's not eternal. Then he says this, and having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Mark chapter 4 says it like this. It's like the seed thrown into the thorns that the cares of the world and the riches of the world come and choke out the word and prove it unfruitful. That's what the love of money does. It chokes out your spiritual life. It chokes it out. There's nothing ever to grow because there's a love for something else that's meant for God. Let's keep going. Verse 10. 1 Timothy 6, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith. He says, if you run after money, if you run after the stuff of the world, it also leads to other sins. And there is the danger. That's why it's so dangerous, because it leads to greed and lust and hate and envy and jealousy. And so he says, Run away from that stuff. Now, all of us here, we can, we can hear that. We can, I can say that, and you can hear it, and, and we're like, okay, I understand. Don't run after godliness in terms of financial gain. I, 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 believe that, I believe that's the heartbeat of this. And all of us know that there are, there, there are preachers that get on TV, which I don't understand, and they say, God wants you to be rich. Send me your money. And I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but like, wait a minute. If I give you my money, you'll be rich, but not me. All right. And, and I think most of us here, we're like, we get it. We're not buying into that. All right. But I want, I want you to know something. This godliness as a means of gain can sometimes have a subtle deceptiveness to it that can strike all of it. You see, maybe you're not running after God to get rich financially. But there are times where godliness has some perks to it. Now, we all know about the struggles of walking with Christ. We all know that it's not just a walk in the park. We all know that we struggle. We have issues. We have weaknesses that we all deal with. We understand that. We've talked about it before. But I don't think we talk enough about the stuff that comes with following God that we sometimes start to worship. If we are not careful, we can start to chase after the blessings of God rather than God Himself. 
God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to be your God. And also I'm going to give you the land. And some heard, what? The land? Yes, the land. And they started to run for the land. They started to run for the stuff of God. And they started to worship the blessings of God rather than the blesser. But you see, with Abraham, the greatest message was not the land. It was when he heard the words, I'll be your God. You get me. You see, church, we, you, every single one of us in here, we were broken and we were removed from God because of our sin. And the great message of the gospel is this, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And you and I get that relationship back. We get Jesus Christ back. We have an opportunity to fall in love with him. But the people couldn't see it and they started to grumble and chased after the land and chased after the blessing. They chased after God plus something. And if we're not careful, we can do the same thing. We can become discontent and unfulfilled and shift our eyes on the blessings and the perks of this Christian life. We do it all the time. We do it with heaven. We read about heaven in the scripture. In my father's house are many mansions. And we stop right there. We don't hear anything else. In my father's house are many mansions. And the rest of the scripture kind of turns into the teacher off Charlie Brown. Right? In my father's house are many mansions and we're like, I can't wait for heaven. There's going to be mansions. There's going to be streets of gold. And we make it about the stuff. We make it about the mansion, the streets of gold. But if you stick with Christ a little bit more, you'll notice that he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. That's the great news of heaven. It's not the streets. It's not the mansions. It's that Jesus is there. The king is there to be forever in his presence. It's not God plus the mansions. It's him. We get him. You see, a lot of times we think the tragedy of sin, like when we mess up and sin against God and we think, here's what a lot of people think. Oh, now, now God can't bless me. We sin we fall short, we mess up, and we're like, man, now, now God can't bless me. And we think that's the tragedy of sin. See, we even make sin about the stuff of gains. We might lose the stuff that God wants to give me. Do you want me to tell you what the tragedy of sin is? The tragedy of sin is that we have walked out of step with God. 1 Peter 4 says it this way, you should stop running after the lust of men because we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing that. 
That's what Peter said. He says that you should spend the rest of your lifetime running after the will of God. So for Peter, the tragedy of sin is wasted time. Yes, you should mourn the sin that you commit, but you should also mourn the time that you wasted, that you could have had in fulfillment of walking with God. Do you see, it's not just about the blessings. It's about missing out on our relationship, our walk with God. We turn our life into God plus something. We do it with church. Man, I get a lot out of that church. Man, I love that church. I get a lot out of that church. It's all about what I get out of it. I love that church. The pastor there is amazing. Sometimes I have to listen to that brother Jones sometimes, but that pastor is amazing. And I get it. I heard an amen over here. And I say amen also. We have an incredible pastor. But if we're not careful, we can turn church into a place where we just go to consume, but we never give. And love's not about getting out of it. Love's about what you give. The object of love is not you, but it's the person that you're loving. It's about what we give. And so I say, if you're running after God, be careful of running after the gains of God. You will never be fulfilled in this life. But if you're running after Him, if you're running after Jesus Christ, my friend, that's where you find fulfillment. That's where you find joy. That's where you find peace. That's where you find everything you need. Would you clap your hands unto the Lord this morning? You're called to be rich, but you're called to be rich in Him. That's where the wealth is. It's in Jesus Christ. The richness that you crave is in Him. And you can run after the wealth of the world or you can run after this kind of wealth that I'm talking about. And this richness in him is going to last. But that other one will never fulfill. Paul told the Ephesians, he says, my prayer is that you would know the what is the inheritance of the saints. What is the richness of the glory? David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To be in His presence, I ask you this morning, is that your desire? Or is it God plus something? We're to be content where we are. We're to be content with what we have. And let me give you one more as our music comes. We're to be content by knowing the truth. By knowing the truth. Everybody say truth. See, truth is an interesting thing to me. Because we can all believe in a lot of different things today. You can believe in something. You can believe in something. For the life, you can have a belief. The Jeff, you can have a belief. The question is not, do you believe in something? The question is, do you believe in the truth? That's, that's the question. That's the issue. And we're to be content by knowing the truth. 1 Timothy 6 and 5, he says that these men teach false doctrine are men of corrupt minds. And this is what he says. Destitute of the truth. They're void of truth. 
they don't know the truth. Why does he say that? Listen, listen to what they're running after. Verse 4. He of the man who teaches false doctrine, he says, he is proud knowing nothing. He doesn't know the truth. He is proud. The untruth, the lie, the falsehood is that it's all about you. So that's why they're obsessed with twisting things for their gain and they'll never be fulfilled. In fact, it will lead to more destruction. And the real truth is when you come to Christ, you understand life is not about you becoming great, but life is about Christ becoming great in you. And there is such joy There is such a burden lifted. There is such a freedom and a peace that comes from knowing and embracing the truth to know that life isn't about me. There's a comfort in that. There's a comfort and release that comes from that. 2 Corinthians 5 says, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should know should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Would you stand with me this morning? There is a transfer that happens when you come to Jesus Christ. You now have a whole new ballgame. A whole new way of judging success. From now on, it ought to be that you see everything through the lens of this. Does this make the name of Christ great? Or does it make my name great? Does this bring glory to God or myself? And I'm telling you, there is such a joy with that. It's like when everyone went to John the Baptist to be baptized by him, the leaders came and said, who are you? He said, I'm a nobody. I'm just a voice in the wilderness. But there's coming someone after me. His sandals I'm unworthy to loose. Christ comes on the scene and it's, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And look what happened in John 3. John's disciples came to him and said, We got a problem. All the people that were following you have left you and they're now following Christ. And what are they saying? They're saying, Hey John, your gain has turned into a loss for Christ's glory. And you know what John says? This joy of mine is what? Fulfilled. Fulfilled. I'm content. John the Baptist, his whole purpose for being born was to prepare the way of the Lord. He's like, I'm fulfilled. I did my purpose. I did what I was supposed to do. If you're here today and you're a follower of Christ, you should understand and know that you and I were created for Him. Colossians tells us that all things were created through Him 
and for him. Church, you weren't created for you. You weren't created for your wife or your husband or your parents. Not your glory, but for his glory to make his name great. And so he says, this joy of mine is fulfilled. And he says, I love this. He says, I'm just the friend of the bridegroom. This November will mark 10 years for Mallory and myself. 10 years ago this November, I stood there in that church and I was the groom. Now, I've been in other weddings. I've been the best man. I have been a groomsman. I have been uh, an usher. I've been in that line where I stand there. And I want you to know that at that wedding, it's all about what God is doing between this man and this woman. The two becoming one. The mystery that is in between Christ and His church. It's all about the glory of God in this moment. And let me tell you this. I have never once been tempted at a wedding to all of a sudden stand up and get there and grab the microphone and say hey turn the lights on me everyone look up here at me it's kind of funny to think about it's a ridiculous thought really I understand that but we do the same thing with Christ We come to Christ and then we want to get in the spotlight and live like it's about us. And you can do that. I'm not saying you can't. You can do that, but please know you will never be fulfilled in that life because it's not about you. It's about Him. Thank you for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. You can follow this podcast for more great episodes from the Landmark family. If you are ever in our area, our doors are open on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thank you once again for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. God bless.